Welcome everybody to another episode of my uh, podcast and uh, I'm always delighted. Everybody listens to this knows that I'm delighted, but I'm genuinely delighted to have the uh, the wonderful Marcus Kauke. Um, I've been instructed that's how you pronounce his name. If you click on his LinkedIn profile, you can click on his little sound icon and also tell you um, how to uh, how to pronounce his, uh, his surname. Um, I stumbled across, or rather I met Marcus. Um, all roads seem to lead to Justin Michael at the moment through Justin's uh, Salesborgs, uh, salesborgs.ai um, group. Um, forewarning, Marcus doesn't hold back, so if he pisses you off in terms of what he's saying and the insight he's sharing, um, he's doing the right thing. He describes himself as a commodity revenue leader, synthesizer of the best ideas to align all moving parts around the customer who never buy what you sell, they rent outcomes for as long as you're delivering what they need today and for the future. He's chairman of a number of um, upstarts in the industry, in the, in, in the sales industry. Um, his writing is awesome. He's also the host of the Inquisitor podcast, which is um, amazing. He has some amazing guests on that. So absolutely follow that. Um, Marcus, over to you. Welcome. Who, who what, why, when, where? Um, thank, well, first of all, thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, I've been in sales for the last 35 years. I've worked across 500 different segments of the market, uh, helping people sell everything from aircraft carriers, comm systems to spooks, naked platters, female fantasy fulfillment coaching, um, kidnap experiences where um, uh, extremely wealth and bored um, uh, housewives um, get kidnapped by the SAS, uh, dropped off in uh, Kasbah in Marrakesh, and their erstwhile lover has to go on a, uh, a treasure hunt uh, for four to six weeks to find them. Um, and uh, matchmaking professional services of every hue, shape and color, mm -hmm. uh, shipping, legal services, software, uh, every form of tech you can imagine. And in every organization I've ever been to, into, um, I've yet to come across an organization where I cannot find 400% performance improvement uh, inside of an hour or two, uh, simply by looking at the acts of idiocy, uh, traditions that don't hold any water, um, their shitty culture, but above all, the amount of money they're leaving on the table um, by uh, being fixated on new business instead of account uh, growth and retention. Mm -hmm. um, selfish selling, uh, which means that they're just one of many. They sound like everybody else. They're fo focused on their quota, um, on new logo acquisition, on revenue growth, uh, instead of on solving really difficult, gnarly problems for their customers. Um, helping them generate the outcomes that they are paying for, um, playing nicely uh, with others internally, with partners, with competitors, and above all with the customer. Because unless you're generating solutions where uh, the customer's fingerprints are all over it, chances are you're doing it wrong. You only have to look at CRM. Um, mm -hmm. you know, it's well over 80% uh, of CRM implementations fail to meet the objective which is helping salespeople to sell more more often for more money to more people more consistently. Um, and instead it becomes a function of audit. Mm -hmm. And uh, salespeople get tied up in uh, pointless internal meetings. You know, they lose 23 hours a, a week on meetings that probably add no value. They spend 12 to 21% of their time in front of the customer instead of 60, 70, 80, 90% in front of the customer. Um, yeah, I, I just look around and I keep asking the question, well, why? What, why do we do it this way? So I'll, I'll finish my rant with a story. Um, 
back in the late 60s, early 70s, the um, uh, gunners, the Royal Artillery, mm -hmm. commissioned a study uh, to um, look at how they could increase the speed of fire of artillery uh, gunners. Yeah. Um, and they had some poor captain go off with his clipboard and um, uh, stopwatch. And he watched these people firing the guns and two of them would carry a shell to the back. One of them would open it, then they'd shove it in, close the back. One would stay behind, the other one would march uh, back eight or 12 paces, turn around, put their right hand behind their back and hold up their left arm. And this took around 27 seconds. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so he asked them why they do that. Well, that's the way we were trained to uh, fire the guns, sir. And that's the way we fire the guns in this man's army, sir. Well, who trained you? The gunnery sergeant. So he goes to the gunnery sergeant. Um, why do you train them to, uh, to fire the guns in this way? That's the way I was trained to train them, sir. That's the way we train them in this man's army, sir. That's the way we fire the guns in this man's army, sir. So after about two weeks, he was frustrated and he was thinking, what the hell's going on here? And he met an old codger in the pub just outside the barracks who used to be a gunner. And he said, have you any idea why they do that? Oh, yeah, they're holding the horses. Now, bear in mind, they hadn't had horses for 40, 50 years, <laughs> um, but they were still doing stuff that yeah. they used to do when they had horse-drawn artillery. And my, I, I'm always looking for where they're holding the horses. What are you doing that no longer serves you? It's not relevant. Uh, what's the potential? And Mark Twain said it better than me, which is your eyes won't see if your imagination is out of focus. My job is to focus the imagination. I like that. My job is to focus the uh, the, the imagination. And my grandfather was in the was within the Royal Artillery, so he may well have uh, uh, he may well have been part of that. Who who knows? May well have been his 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 uh, his fault. They were still doing it uh, doing it that way. Um, I know that we were going to focus on the real cost of winging your sales blog. But actually, I want to, and I told you we go all, all, all different directions with this, and my listeners know that's kind of the way I operate. I'm intrigued to um, explore it further what you mean by your customers are renting outcomes and unpack that a little bit so that we're, the listeners and myself included are really clear in, in terms of that. Because I talk about when I work with clients, you know, what is the outcome you're trying to achieve here? But I want to understand more about what you mean by they rent outcomes. Recruiters think they sell recruitment. Mm -hmm. Software vendors think they sell software. Lawyers think they sell legal services. And accountants think they sell accountancy. Mm -hmm. No, they, uh, you, well, that's not what people buy. Um, people buy legal services because they want to be protected or they want to solve a conflict or they want to um, protect themselves against um, a, a, a bad contract, whatever it happens to be. Yeah. If you don't deliver that, they'll fire you and they'll find someone else and they'll probably sue you in the process. And mm -hmm. um, if you are a software vendor, a CRM, for example, yeah. um, no one wakes up in the morning and says, you know, bugger me. What I really want is Microsoft Dynamics. <laughs> it's, it's a thing that I've wanted <laughs> since childhood. Yeah. Um, no one hires, no one goes to a recruiter because they want to make a hire. They want to hire someone who succeeds in the role and stays. Mm -hmm. And so there is a function of um, looking at the cause of the problems um, that people have when um, you look at the entire revenue operation. 40 years ago, Milton fucking Friedman, um, if you don't mind me saying, um, the, who is the Lieutenant of Satan, um, right. came up with the ludicrous idea that we all um, exist purely to deliver shareholder value 
or in a professional services firm uh, to line the pockets of partners. And mm -hmm. um, now that may be the selfish intent, but the reality is we exist because of, not in spite of the customer. Mm -hmm. And over the last 40, 50 years, um, the customer has become a forgotten, inconvenient afterthought at the end of a long chain of abuse. Um, the reality is if you build everything with the customer at its heart mm -hmm. and you operate with um, the principle, the guiding principle of buyer safety, every buyer deserves to feel safe whenever they're buying from a vendor of whatever description, yeah. which means that you have to put the customer's best interests and their outcomes above what you're going to earn or take from it. Um, and um, the outcomes that they buy today may not be relevant in a year, three years, five years. Mm -hmm. um, so you need to adapt. You need to be timely. You need to be relevant. You need to be responsive and you need to be reliable. You need to be their partner. Um, and that means part and partnership is not easy. It's like marriage. Mar marriage, um, you know, if a marriage exists where there is never an argument, uh, chances are um, one or other of the parties is uh, just playing it safe. Yeah. Um, and that is not how partners work. True partnerships help each other to get better. Now, when you're selling, your job is to be your customer's partner. Their job is to help you improve. Um, and you have to evolve. So you need to learn how to make um, strong agreement that weather the test of time, weather the, uh, change and weather adversity. You need to operate with rigorous authenticity so that they can lower their guard and they can tell you the truth. And you can have grown up adult to adult conversations about what they're trying to achieve, where you can help. That means you have to be vulnerable enough uh, to admit when you're wrong, when you can't help, when you need their help. Um, when you need to bring in someone else, when you don't know, um, you need to be able to enter into constructive conflict. The thing I love about conflict is that's where you synthesize the best ideas. Mm -hmm. um, it's not through um, just being surrounded by yes men and women. It's being um, uh, having um, the ability to create a true win-win. The best kind of win-win is where both sides achieve the outcome that they want without compromise. It's learning how to find the, um, what you have in common. Uh, it's learning how to collaborate, to cooperate. And your success in the future will absolutely be determined by your ability to collaborate. Um, the ability to communicate with absolute clarity. Ambiguity is the mother of all foobars. Mm -hmm. um, it's the, the source of mismatched expectations, disappointment, confusion. Yeah. Um, and you need to co-develop solutions with your customers. Uh, you need to deliver value. You need to make sure that you're constantly relevant. You need to be asking questions like, what are the jobs they're trying to get done? What progress are they making, they making without our help? Mm -hmm. um, what uh, are their struggling moments? What can we do to help them overcome that, either directly or through people that we know and can introduce? Yeah. Um, what are they trying to achieve next? That's what I mean by renting, um, because unless you understand all of that and you understand the factors that you create that prevent you from being able to deliver that. So compensation, mm -hmm. recruitment, hiring, onboarding, yeah. uh, measurement, KPIs, all of those um, in most organizations drive unintended negative consequence. In a sales environment, 
the um, ludicrous emphasis on new business and revenue growth, which has been uh, certainly in the tech space fueled by greedy speculators and gamblers purporting to be investors, mm -hmm. um, worrying about their exit and worrying about uh, the fake valuation in the bubble they've created um, means that um, they're not focused on driving behavior that actually builds profitable, sound businesses. I, I grew up in an era where profit actually mattered. Yeah. The top 100 SaaS companies today make a median uh, um, net margin of 0%. Which is nuts. Just, it's crazy. Yeah, it's, 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 it's borderline insane. If not, it's, it's insane. It is. Um, it's in, a bubble. In, in terms of all of that, and you know, to, we, we won't name names. If you, if you know, you know those, the, the valuations that were being created in the, in the height of a global pandemic kind of just also um, sort of showed the insanity of the world that we, we kind of find, we, we find ourselves, we find ourselves in. I mean, there's a hell of a lot there, Marcus. And this, that, in terms of, I always, um, oh, her name, I can see a Fallon Fatami always talks about the art of sales is only as good as a science. Um, and sales is, is, is an art isn't well, the science is only as good as the as the art of the art of sales. The selling is an art, and there's a skill, there is a skill behind it. And everything that you, you you touched on, that requires in some case experience, skill, the 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 training. And you know, this talks about if I think about the real cost of winning your 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 sales. You're not gonna, you're not gonna like my response. No, you know, fail to plan, plan to fail. Failure to plan, practice, rehearse, capture lessons and debrief is an act of gross misconduct on yeah. their part of the salesperson and their part of their manager. It should result in a minimum of written warning and repetition, should result in dismissal. Um, you then go on and you don't pull any punches in terms of in, in terms of all of this. But we've got to see so many tensions in terms of creating the share the shareholder value. And I, I think we all we all recognize that but that's probably i don't know probably too big of a, a challenge to to solve right here and now so for the listeners that are listening to you and you're kind of sitting up and waking you know, waking up to what you're you're saying and i believe we, we are we are at the tipping point and we're going to see a change in a revolution in in yeah. in all of this over the next uh, three to five three to five years we're so, already seeing it alex and um, the, the pandemic has created the conditions for a genuine renaissance. Um, you know, uh, I, I'm always minded of the quote from the 39 steps and, um, you know, uh, 600 years of peace or 300 years of peace. And the Swiss created the cuckoo clock um, and, uh, you know, uh, the uh, turmoil that came with the um, you know, pre-renaissance. And, the, the, you know, they came up with Michelangelo and the renaissance. Yeah. Um, it's a phenomenal uh, opportunity. And what we're seeing is um, that if you take a step back and you take your nose off the map on the wall yeah. and you start to see the bigger picture, um, there is a, a real argument and the, the evidence is out there um, that you can behave in a way that drives profitable, sustainable hyper growth. Now, hyper growth and um, and uh, scale are about creating speed, velocity, momentum without incurring massive additional costs and having to use brute force, uh, brute force tactics. Mm -hmm. uh, most organizations that talk about achieving hyper growth actually are just achieving growth quickly. Um, but what they're having to do is recruit a land army of yeah. conscripts. Um, and 
they have to compromise on recruitment. So effectively what they're doing is creating the conditions for their own demise. Mm -hmm. But their business model is get out quick and let someone else pick up the pieces. So if we look back at Stephen Covey's um, Seven Habits, he talks about uh, the manager who's always maintaining stuff. He gets replaced by someone who's really quick on results, doesn't maintain. And then the poor bugger who comes in afterwards is blamed when everything falls apart. Um, And... um, the, the reality is that um, you look at compensation, mm-hmm. for example. Compensation drives behavior. So if you compensate for new logos and revenue growth, which is driven by management, driven by leadership, driven by investors, um, then what you get is revenue growth and you get new logos. But let's say in the SaaS market, roughly uh, 15% churn is normal. Yeah. Um, and in mobile phones, 25%. Yeah. So you're losing between 40, uh, 49 and I think it's 82% of your customers every three years. That creates a massive tariff at the front end that you have to replace just to stand still. Yeah. Um, the knock-on effect of that is you never have enough pipeline. So what you do is you then claim to be customer-centric until the end of the quarter. Then you turn into a total arsehole and you go out and put customers under pressure to buy. Yeah. Um, and... Um, you start discounting and you pay that price for years to come because for as long as they're a customer, you lose that margin. So if you make 30% margin and you discount by 10%, the net sale has to be 100% bigger at full fees just to stand still. Um, So again, there is a a hidden cost or a a misunderstood cost of discounting. Uh, There's no need. If you understand true win-win, you can find... Um, a, a compromise that doesn't involve either side giving away the stuff that really matters to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and you come to a, a solution um, that doesn't involve what uh, people talk about compromise and negotiation, which is giving stuff away. That's stupid, but it's difficult. Mm-hmm. And the problem is that most people shy away from difficult work. If you really wanted to pull, uh, put together a great compensation scheme, then pay a little for new logos and uh, acquisition, yeah. not for adoption, 18, 90% adoption, that's a trigger. Uh, consumption, a lot of these companies are data-driven. Yeah. Um, so how, how are they consuming your services and professional services? Are they just coming to you to resolve conflicts or are they using you uh, in order to protect them, uh, div- uh, protect their IP, uh, to um, identify great uh, opportunities in terms of acquisition, merger. Um, you know, what else are you doing? Uh, why are you not cross-selling? Mm-hmm. In, in most organizations, they are a marketplace. If, you, if you're selling to any uh, medium-sized or enterprise-scale uh, business, they're a marketplace. You can be selling organically yeah. and sell to their family tree, mm-hmm. sister companies, parent companies, subsidiaries, overseas subsidiaries. Yeah. You can sell to their entire supply chain strategic alliances, suppliers, joint venture partners. You can be selling to alumni. You can be selling to the customer's customer. And most people are so fixated on new logo and working hard instead of thinking, well, how can we do this better? If I keep my customers and I add new customers at the top, and then I grow and I can make a profit and I get my people to work on more interesting stuff. And the third, uh, third renewal is a really good uh, pay um, mm-hmm. uh, pay trigger, and when the customer actually achieves the outcome they paid you for, everyone in the team who contributed to that should get paid. But that's yeah. difficult. It's much easier just to say, let's measure number of dials, 
number of first meetings, number of demos, number of proposals, yeah. none of which is useful. It's, it's interesting in terms of, you know, we, well, all the data out there kind of shows that a, a, a referral sell or um, an upsell cross-sell within, within an existing customer in any industry costs you a lot less than driving um, driving net new. Certainly in my world of coming from, from professional services and advising professional services, the majority of the clients that I work with, if they actually thought about their network in that way, they could probably get to any decision maker on the planet through a single one degree connection yeah. who is likely going to buy their products and their, their products and services. But you know, you use the term selfish selling and the, the challenge in the partnership model, it kind of drives that behavior because you've got hundreds of CEOs who have their own PLs, their own view on their own view on life in terms of how they're um, they're looking to, um, to to do things. And in in this this day and age of the technology solutions that are out there you know crm as a technology platform is having a is having a, a renaissance you then look at you look at you know you put in something like linkedin you then put in you start to use um the kind of data that white rabbit intel um provides you start having some more sensible internal conversations about the who the white the what and the when and then think about you know, I'm a salesperson at heart, and I always want the shortest route to starting a conversation with somebody. And if that can be an introduction to somebody that already knows me, we're always going to kind of find that um, that route. Yet, so few organisations seem to recognise this. And I don't know. Yes, obviously, I get this. It's the driving the net new, but is is I think I know what your answer is going to be. Is this? because of leadership, because of management, because they're still holding the horses. We've always done it this way. So we're gonna to continue to do it this way, which is now fundamentally wrong. And then on top of that, you have this, this, this churn race. And I'm reflecting as I'm listening to your, you know, I think that the, the third renewal is a brilliant idea because that will create longevity, longevity and commitment from an employee if they can see that actually, if I sit this out and get that person to renew for the third time, third year, year three, or whatever it is, then the, what, what I get is gonna be a decent, a decent payout. That also, from my perspective, would want me to work with the customer to make sure they're having the best experience possible to, 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 stay, you know, to stay sticky. And the final piece, and I'll get off my, my soapbox, I get really frustrated when people say the CRM system is shit, how can a CRM system be shit? Yes, okay, you can have some user UX type type thing, but fundamentally, it's a dumb piece of technology. They're all the same as well. I, mean, I they, know. They, <laughs> it doesn't matter whether it's a Salesforce, a Microsoft, a Nimble, a HubSpot, uh, you know, they're ten, they're, they're ten, a, ten a penny out there. It's back to, the, and I've been receiving end of this, is that, that no one really focuses on the person that's actually going to use it. Is this going to benefit them in terms of what they're trying to achieve in terms of their daily outcomes? But is it because the outcomes that salesperson is trying to achieve is focused inwardly on the KPIs that they're meant to be filling yes. out rather than outwardly in terms of the outcomes that they're trying to achieve? The principal reason CRM fails is it's been bought um, to act as an audit function rather than uh, implemented as a means to serve the salespeople to do their job better. Um, and users are almost never consulted. Mm -hmm. um, it's implemented in a way that's largely cookie cutter yeah um, and uh, it's seen as administration 
it's not seen as a means to help me sell more. Uh, I, you know, I, I'm minded of Karl von Clausewitz, who wrote a book called On War, which is the Bible for West Point, for Sandhurst, mm -hmm. and all the major military academies. And von Clausewitz would hire Prussian officers for two critical qualities, high intelligence and laziness. Minimum effort, minimum loss of life. Right. You should hire salespeople for the same reason. Yeah. Um, but what passes for great in sales is wrong. What passes for great in sales, and you see it in rainmakers as well, uh, will to win, hyper competitive, uh, motivated by money. Uh, and they, or sometimes you also look for consistency, which is the only quality in all of that, which is of any real value. As a buyer, Alex, do you want to buy from someone whose prime motivation is making money for themselves? No. Um, someone who will is so competitive and has a will to win that they will do anything to win the business. Uh, in the right context, yes, for me. Um, even if they sell you something that you, um, you would be better served buying from someone else? No, in that context, no. Right, because that's what that uh, type of uh, profile yeah. uh, encourages. Um, so all the time, we have to keep asking the question, well, why do we do it this way? Mm -hmm. Really serving the ultimate outcome. And the problem starts with people have forgotten that we exist because of the customer, mm -hmm. not in spite of them. Yeah, And unless you build your entire operation from the customer out, then chances are you're going to miss the mark. So one uh, really simple, uh, no, one, one critical area, uh, which is often misunderstood, is the customer's journey. Mm -hmm. So a journey, customer journey from the McDonald's employee perspective is yeah. um, someone drives up to the squawk box, places their order, drives to the next window, pays their money, um, and then drives to the next window, picks up their food and leaves. The true customer journey. The kids are screaming. Uh, they're saying, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. You eventually cave in. You yep. pile them into the back of the car. World War III is breaking out. The decibel level's up to 98. <clears throat> are we there yet? Are we there yet? Um, you get to the back of the queue. There are eight cars visible in front of you. Uh, oh, this takes so long. I'm hungry, I'm hungry. You eventually get to second in the queue. You take their order. Uh, you get to the squawk box. One of the buggers changes their mind. Um, the squawk box sound quality is poor. The person at the other end doesn't speak English. It's their first language. You're uncertain whether or not the order's been taken correctly. Uh, the best bit of the entire experience is paying your money because all you've got to do is tap your card. Yeah. Um, then you drive up to the next window and the thought goes through your mind, should we check to make sure everything's in there? Um, if you do, then you're holding up everyone behind, so you're feeling all that peer pressure. If you don't, it could be wrong. Uh, you drive off, you hand them their food. Um, World War Three is still breaking out because now they're uh, fighting over who got the toys. Um, one of them's got a chip up their nose. You've got a, a detour to A&E to have it removed. Um, and then you've got a little bit of vomit on the seat because they drank um, their milkshake too quickly. Um, and then you've got to get rid of the packaging. Now, most people never consider that journey. They only consider the first one. Now, if you don't understand the customer and you meet them where they are and you don't think as the customer instead of about them and what you can do to them, mm -hmm. then you're going to miss the mark and you miss vast opportunities because along the way, there are probably half a dozen ways that you can serve them.
I think that's that's a very eloquent, very simple but very eloquent way to just to kind of articulate the customer journey. And you know, as a parent, I'm just smiling brightly because it's it's true what you've just what you've just described. In fairness, I need to give credit to Colin Shaw, uh, who is the the world's leading customer experience expert. Um, so I stole it directly from him. But that's what talent, uh, what genius does: talent <laughs> creates and genius steals. And that's what we need to do. We need to collaborate. We need to think about what, um, that we've got to start asking the question, who? Who does this brilliantly? Who has already solved this problem? Yeah. And then don't, stop asking why and how and what. Start asking who and learn to play nicely with others. I think uh, I start asking who, and I think, you know, you're, we, we exist because of the customer rather than in spite of the customer. And again, if I look, if I look back to my recruitment days, way back in my, in my, in fact, if I go back to my estate agency days with Foxton's Mini One Three Two, you know, we were always told um, never form an opinion of a property, ever, even if you think it's the biggest shithole in the world, just do not form an opinion of it because somebody somewhere will love it. That's because- clever because it means they're getting more space it means that they're in maybe it's a slightly more affluent area it means that they've achieved their dream of this is where i wanted to be this is even if for you you would never ever live there that's not for you to kind of make that decision on behalf of somebody uh, somebody else and you've touched on two really important things there one customers buy products services exclusively for their reasons they don't give a damn about salesperson's reasons or their quota, or what their managers are telling them to do. They care about, can you help me solve my problem? Can you get me to my better future? Um, And the other thing uh, you've touched on there is how often the salesperson becomes an obstacle to the sale. Because they they find their opinions, their assumptions, their targets, their quotas, all that kind of stuff, um, as a reason to try and convince people to buy. People loathe being sold. They love buying. Your job is to facilitate that and to understand them. And this is where um, skills like listening, questioning, um, uh, qualities like empathy, genuine understanding, uh, even if you disagree, um, uh, integrity. Integrity is the most important quality of a salesperson. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, intelligence and energy will kill you if they, if they don't have integrity. And you see this all the time, customers being burnt, churned. Uh, you see this massive turnover, um, revolving door. Um, you incur recruitment costs needlessly. Um, you waste a huge amount of time because you're holding the horses on marketing, on lead generation, on email, on cold calling, on re- referrals, networking, social. You know, um, White Rabbit, our oldest employee is 70. She seven, sells. Seven zero. Seven zero. Yeah, she sells artificial intelligence, sales enablement. <laughs> now, if that isn't an indication that even your oldest, most curmudgeonly veteran salespeople can't adapt, yeah. then I don't know what it is. I, I'm trying to turn Helen into our poster child. Um, because uh, I think that's just such a fabulous message. And I'm, I'm 100% in, in, in agreement with you. And there's a chap <coughs> called um, David Allison who talks about value graphics as well, because he thinks this whole generational thing is, is bullshit. And yeah. some of my, some of the, the clients that I've worked with, they started out and it was of a certain age, you know, probably 50s, 60s partner, long in the two, think they know it all, would be some of the most challenging people at the beginning of a program. 
but towards the end, because they've got the intellectual capacity to allow themselves to think slightly broader, they're like, okay, this get, I get this. This makes perfect sense. Why, why am I, why have I only, why am I only starting to do this now? Versus, and they've been some of my most, some of my most successful converts to yes. this world of, of kind of digital and how you build that into your your day to day. My pal Zach Seltz uh, yesterday published his new podcast with uh, Justin Michael. Now. Uh, Justin is a freak of nature, let's be honest. Um, and uh, he, he, he's basically, um, you know, brands himself as a human machine uh, cyborg. Um, and he's released this fabulous book called Tech uh, Powered Sales with Tony Hughes. Yeah. Now, my pal, Zach Selch, has been selling into the channel for the last 30, 35 years. He's generated over a thousand partnerships, generated billions of dollars. Um, and he read the book over the weekend. And he's already implemented 12 pieces of technology, not the 500, yep. just the bits that he knows that he can work. Uh, and even if they just add um, $1,000, there's 120 grand on an 11 grand per, uh, $11 purchase. Um, and learning to adapt, recognizing that you can't stagnate the saying, playing it safe is the most dangerous option, particularly in this renaissance. If, if we are not um, uh, adapting to technology, human partnerships, if we are not meeting the customer where they are, uh, if we're not thinking ahead and thinking as their ally instead of their adversary, which is the old model, mm -hmm. or their accomplice, which is the lazy model, yeah. Um, then you end up in a situation where you become irrelevant very quickly. And then they stop renting the, the, the outcomes from you and you get replaced. Um, in terms of, I know we could probably do another podcast on this. So whilst, we, whilst we're kind of, we have kind of beaten up the technology side of things, the flip side is, is that automation in sales is, is, is here. And does it have its place? Is there a place for automation in sales? Yes, but not uh, you cannot personalize at scale. You can be relevant at scale. Yeah. So where I see automation being really powerful is um, helping you. Uh, so using a technology like White Rabbit to identify the people you should engage with now, yeah. uh, human to human, and um, using technology to automate um, the outreach after having micro-segmented um, your uh, target audience and your ideal customer profile and prioritizing mm -hmm. um, those uh, prospects uh, on the basis of their probability of creating a human-to-human -human engagement. That's what White Rabbit does. Yeah. Um, it's up to you to be able to sell, um, and it's up to you to then lose it. Now, sometimes you have to take the slightly circuitous route mm -hmm. um, because Fred might be the decision maker, but Ginger might be the person who is most likely to engage with you. Yep. Then you have to create that internal champion. Mm -hmm. And um, if you eliminate the 90 to 95% of wasted dead effort, yeah. you now have time to do your research. Mm -hmm. Bill Bain is one of my heroes in this respect. Bill Bain built Bain Consulting by investing 100 hours of research minimum before they actually made a first approach to any of their prospects. Mm -hmm. And his opener to the CEO was... Um, dear Alex, um, we've identified through research 67 different ways that we might be able to help you uh, advance your business and achieve your top three goals. Um, 
I know you don't have the time, inclination or resource to invest in that. Um, so can we hop on a call for 20 minutes to discuss the half a dozen or dozen that you can? And that's how he started uh, Bain Consulting. Yeah. And you need to spend time in research so that you can be relevant. You can be timely. You can deliver value. Um, you need to turn up and you need to challenge um, their current presets and what they're comfy with. Um, and Corporate Visions has done some amazingly great research with Stanford um, on this. 60% of buying cycles end in the status quo. That's your biggest competitor. Do nothing. Yeah. Apathy. Inertia. 29.6% uh, go to the vendor who early in the conversation disrupts their current preferences, can demonstrate the business case for making the change. And people don't fear change, they fear uncertainty. Mm -hmm. um, create enough points of difference to differentiate between the status quo and all the competing options and allay anticipated regret and blame, future buyer's remorse. 10.4% go to RFP. Now, if you're building your business off the back of RFPs, you have a one in four on average win rate, which means that you're betting your business on a 2.6% success rate on every sales cycle. Now, in reality, it's way lower than that. Yeah. Um, came across a company yesterday that has a 0.1% uh, 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 conversion rate of leads coming into the top of the funnel. Criminal. That's a one in 10,000 chance of success. That is waste. If you ran your finance department yeah. or your health and safety team with those kind of odds, you would definitely be behind bars. Of course you would. I mean, it, 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 it makes me reflect back in my, my law firm days, trying to ha having a debate with a partner when, when they would bother putting in something into a CRM from an opportunity perspective, like a panel. And they'd value it at a million a million pounds. And I get a panel isn't worth a million pounds. The panel is worth zero. If we win this, this then gives us the right to bid for work, which might be worth a million pounds. But we could sit, sit on a panel for 12 months yeah. and never win anything. So therefore it has what? zero value in the pipeline. <laughs> Happy years, ego, delusion, attachment. <laughs> Those are the things that you have to fight doing your job and mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, but I, I see my job as holding up the ugly mirror. You know, people actually see themselves as others see them um, and uh, have them see reality instead of this gilded lily. Uh, the reality is you cannot polish a turd. You can roll it in glitter, it's still a turd. <laughs> I think on that note, Marcus, that's a very apposite, um, if that's even the right word. Um, it is place to uh, to uh, to end my late father was always on me for my grammar um where can this has been hugely entertaining i could talk to you for hours i've learned I, every time i talk to you marcus i learned so much and there's so much self-reflection that i need to i think go through in some of my 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 habits and what i um, what i do uh where can people where can people find you marcus email me marcus at laughs-last.com there's a message there he who laughs last laughs longest um, so it's about working with me is not pleasant. Um, it's really comfortable uh, and you need to be patient, but then we will help you by slowing down. You will speed up, will speed up. Uh, LinkedIn. I'm all over it like a rash mm -hmm. uh, Marcus C-A-U-C-H-I and Marcus with a C. There are two of us now. One is a recruiter in Essex. I'm sure he's a lovely chap. <laughs> I'm the fat balding guy holding his head in his hands. Um, Medium. I have a blog 
um, which is largely filled with offensive and uncomfortable stuff. Um, and uh, I'm the Inquisitor yeah. on uh, Twitter. And then uh, if you go into podcasts, um, I'm on all the main channels. Just type my name in, Marcus Kauke, the Inquisitor podcast, and uh, on there. And we've got 300 hours of really fabulous material on there. Yeah. I've been blessed. It, 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 your writing's brilliant, your podcasts are brilliant, everything you do is brilliant. I'll put all the links into I can't do the YouTube thing of where it's supposed to be um, for everyone to, to follow. But Marcus, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on my on my show. Thank you so much for affording me the, uh, the time. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.